Ephesians chapter 2. Follow along as I read the chapter to you. Ephesians 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirits who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, Past, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to stop there because we're going to go down to verse 10 today, and then we're going to pick up in verse 11 next Sunday. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, bring illumination of your word and of your gospel, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds. Change us and transform us. Lord, deliver us from deception and mythologies and things that we believe that are not rooted and grounded in the truth of your word. Lord, reveal your truth to us in Christ and set us free for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Actually, we got down to uh, verse 5 last week. And so look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So remember in this letter, Paul begins before the beginning. Before there was a beginning, Paul says, God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. God predestined you. God preordained you to be his child. And he, what he's telling us, what he is writing to this church who is under intense persecution, is that God knows you. God knows your situation. God knows your circumstance. God didn't just find out about you because you have come into persecution and he's now heard your cry and now his gaze is turned towards you and he's, he's now aware of what's happening. No, Paul is saying, God knew you before there was a world. Before there was a world, before there was a universe, before there were sun, moon, stars, God knew you. He chose you in him, in Christ. He blessed you with every spiritual blessing your persecution, your trial, your circumstance has nothing to do with the blessing that God has given to you because the blessing that you have been given in Christ transcends your earthly persecution. It transcends the situations and the circumstances you might find yourself in today. 
that what God has blessed you with is spiritual, meaning it is eternal. It cannot, it will not pass away. It doesn't mean it's not material. It means it is eternal. The blessings of God are real. They're tangible. They're more real than the material world we live on because his blessings are eternal in Christ Jesus. And so Paul goes on and he says, when you were dead, he made you alive. When you were dead in sin, Christ made you alive. You once walked according to death, but now you have been made alive and you walk now as a child of God. And in verse five, he says, even when you were dead in sin, he made you alive together with Christ by grace. There's the reminder. There's the parenthesis that gives you the emphasis. He says, let me remind you again, by grace, you have been saved. You didn't save yourself. God saved you. But he didn't just raise you up from the dead. Paul says in verse six, look at this. He didn't just bring you back from the dead. He didn't just make you alive, but he raised us up together. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He raised us up together with Christ. The raising up presupposes that he made us alive before he raised us up. Picture Jesus in the tomb made alive and raised up. Picture Lazarus in the tomb. He had to be made alive before he could walk out of the tomb, before he could respond to the call of Jesus. Lazarus, come forth. Picture us in the grave of our sins made alive and raised up in Christ. So he raised us up together and made us sit together. With Christ, he didn't just raise us from the dead. He raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together with Christ. In the resurrection life of Christ, he has made us alive. He has raised us up and he has made us sit together with Christ in his ascension. This is our position The world may look at you and demean you and ridicule you because you believe in God, because you believe in something that you can't touch tangibly. Jesus is not in the flesh walking among us today. We are the body of Christ in the flesh walking in the earth today. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, the eternal Son of God, Jesus is ascended. He is at the right hand of majesty. He is Lord of all. And the world who cannot comprehend spiritual things, Paul says the the natural man, the carnal man, cannot discern the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. Don't get upset with your friends and family and co-workers who are not believers, who have not been born again, who don't understand your faith in God. Don't get upset with them. They don't understand because what you have entered into is something spiritual. What you've entered into is not of this world. The life you have is not of this world. The peace you have is not of this world. The love that's been given to you is not of this world. And the world does not understand what you have been given in Christ Jesus. So don't get frustrated with them. Pray for them. 
that God would open their blind eyes as he's opened your blind eyes. Pray for them that God would raise them from the dead as he has raised you from the dead. Pray for them that a light would shine in their dark heart just like God caused a light to shine in your heart and now you are able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The world can't see that because they're dead, they're blind, they're deaf. They have no desire for God. Their desires are rooted in themselves, in their self-exaltation, in their self-preservation, in their self promotion. Everybody wants God's favor, but usually that is because it's really about us. Paul's writing to this church and he says to the believers, God knew you. God chose you before the world began. Your persecution doesn't mean God doesn't know you. Your persecution doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Your persecution doesn't mean that God has not already given you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Don't be moved by what you see. Don't be, don't be moved by what is around you. Walk by faith and not by sight and know that what God has given to you, he's given to you in Christ Jesus and the world can't take it away from you and the world doesn't understand you. But stand strong. Maintain your witness. This is what he tells them later on when you get to the sixth chapter of Ephesians. He says, stand in the Lord and in the power of his might. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places where in Christ Jesus. Our union with Christ is the ground of our present spiritual and future bodily resurrection and ascension. You understand you have already been raised up in Christ. Spiritually, you have been raised up. You are living in the resurrection of Jesus Christ right now if you are a born again believer. You will be bodily raised up one day when your body dies because you have already been raised up in Christ spiritually. So our union with Christ is the ground of our present spiritual resurrection and our future bodily resurrection and ascension. Christ Jesus refers to the office and the person. Christ is a title. It's not the last name of Jesus, okay? Christ is... A title, it indicates God's anointed. God's anointed prophet, God's anointed priest, God's anointed king, God's anointed son. It means the anointed one. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the anointed one. God's anointed Messiah. Jesus is the name that is given above all. All other names. Christ is the title of complete authority and complete lordship. This is who we have been raised up with and seated with in heavenly places. Think about Jesus. He goes to the cross and he utters not a word in defense of himself. Why? Because Jesus knew exactly who he was. Jesus knew his authority. Jesus knew his position. Jesus knew who he was and that he was on mission. 
even though everyone around him, his disciples included, thought it looked like one big fail. This is a failure. This is a defeat. We thought we had victory in our grasp, but but it slipped away, and now everything is lost. And Jesus doesn't utter a word to try to convince them otherwise. He just is right on mission. And this is what Paul is writing to the church. This is what Paul wrote for us. Stay on mission. God knows what he is doing. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who has raised you up? Do you know who has seated you in heavenly places with him? Do you know who you belong to? Do you know who you have been made one with, that you are one with Christ? Christ Jesus, God's anointed, who is Lord of lords and King of kings. We go back to verse four and you see the but God. But God who is rich in mercy. This was your condition, but God. But God made us alive together even when we were dead. But God raised us up together even when we had been cast down by sin and death. But God made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, even when we didn't deserve to take that position. God did that in his mercy. God did that in his love. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That in the ages which are coming on, the blessed ages of the gospel which supersede the course of this world. Ephesians 2.2. 2. Look at this. In which you once walked, we all once walked according to the course of this world. Now Paul is talking about the ages to come, the ages that are coming on us, the ages that we live in right now, the age of the gospel that we live in right now, the blessed age of the gospel that supersedes the course of this world and the past ages from which the mystery was hidden. Colossians 1.26 and 1.27 talk about the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That mystery was hidden in past ages. The devil didn't know. The rulers of this world didn't know. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians that had the rulers of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known what? Had they known the mystery of the gospel? Had they known that God's plan all along was that Jesus would die on that cross, he would be buried, he would be raised the third day, he would ascend, and then he would pour his spirit out on all flesh so that now he would live in his people and the image and the glory of God would fill the entire earth all because Jesus was obedient to the will of his father and he died on the cross this is the mystery that was hidden in ages past but Paul says That in the ages to come, God is going to show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. 
those exceeding riches of his grace will be fully and ultimately revealed through these ages that are succeeding one another to the ultimate consummation with the Lord's return in glory. We're coming to a consummation. There is a day coming when Jesus will return bodily in glory and he will show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness for us, for his own exceeding glory. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That word for is a connecting word. He's connecting his teaching concerning salvation. He's bringing a conclusion to his thought here about our salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Salvation through faith is by grace alone. It's not grace plus your efforts. Salvation is by grace alone, period. You can add nothing to what God has done. You can add nothing to what Jesus has done. You are not partners with God in your salvation. God saved you alone in spite of yourself and in spite of myself. Salvation through faith is by grace alone and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let me read to you from a a portion from a commentary on these two words, and that. And that, namely the act of believing or faith of yourselves. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. The of yourselves stands in opposition to it is the gift of God. You didn't buy it for yourself. You didn't get it for yourself. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. This is what Philippians 1.29 teaches us. Here's a quote. That which I have said, though through faith, I do not wish to be understood. So as I, if I accepted faith, or expected, accepted faith itself from grace. God justifies the believing man, not for the worthiness of his belief, but for the worthiness of him whom he believes. Did you catch that, church? God justifies the man, not, not because of the worthiness of his belief, but because of the worthiness of the one on whom he believes. The initiation as well as the increase of faith is from the Spirit of God, not only by an external proposal of the Word, the preaching of the Gospel, but by the internal illumination in the soul, that is, by the Spirit. Yet faith cometh by the means which man must avail himself of, namely, hearing the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is what God has ordained. God says men will be saved through the preaching of the gospel. Faith will come by hearing the word. This is why week after week we 
preach the word. This is why we have our Bible. This is why we read from the scripture. We preach from the scripture. We teach from the scripture because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And you're not going to be saved by my success motivation speech that I might want to give you. You're not going to be saved by my promises that God wants you to have your best life yet or a happy life or a better life. You're going to be saved through the preaching of the gospel, through the scripture, through God's holy inspired word. And as you hear his word, God will miraculously, by his grace, open your dead heart, open your blind eyes, open your deaf ears and save you. Yet faith cometh by the means which man must avail himself of, namely hearing the word of God and prayer, though the blessing is holy of God. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you to believe in Christ. And not only that, it has been granted to you to suffer for him. How do you like that? We don't like that. John six sixty five, And he, Jesus said, Jesus said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Therefore, faith along with grace and salvation is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Our salvation is not of works. There is no work I can perform to merit God's grace. There is no work I can perform to merit my salvation. There is no work I can perform apart from God, not even the work of believing that would merit God saving me. God didn't look down through the corridors of time and see that Jeff Ripple would one day believe in him and says, I'm going to choose him because he's going to choose me. If that's what God did, then, then I have merited my own salvation through my own belief. There was nothing in me that merited God saving me. Nothing. God didn't look through time to see what I was going to do. Before there was time, God knew what he was going to do. And my trust in Jesus, my love for Jesus, my choice to follow him every day did not originate in me. It originated in him. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. There is no work we can boast in except to boast in the work of the cross of Christ. This is what Paul said. The only boast I have is in Christ. The only boast I have is the cross. I have nothing in myself, of myself to boast of. The only boast I can bring to you is to boast in Jesus Christ and his cross. Because only by Jesus Christ and only in his cross am I saved. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Let's, let's read 
the flow here. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. There's that word again, that we should walk in them. We are his handiwork, having been created as new creations in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. He marks out for each one, for his own particular purpose, good works that we should walk in them. Not to be saved by them, but that we should walk in the good works that he has already prepared for us Why? For his glory. The works are declared good because the one who prepared them alone is good. And because the works, regardless of what they are, are working for his glory. The persecution the Ephesian church was experienced didn't seem, I'm sure, very good to them. Dying for Jesus, I'm sure, was a hard thing. Living and suffering under intense persecution is not a pleasant thing. But it is what God prepared beforehand for that church to walk in. We have brothers and sisters today in various parts of the world that are literally being martyred, killed for their faith, who are literally living in abject poverty because they name the name of Jesus. Guess who prepared those works beforehand that they should walk in them? Not the devil. God did. Now you and I might not like that. You and I might Say, thank God I was born in America. Tomorrow we're going to celebrate the 4th of July. But tell me, how many of you here, before you were born, filled out the survey and said, God, make sure I'm born in America. An American, born free. Who, 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 who filled that survey out? Anybody? Why were you born in America? Because God had mercy on you. Or maybe he didn't. Have you ever thought about that? You know how many Americans are deceived into thinking that they're okay with God because they're Americans? Because we were born in a quote-unquote Christian nation. We're all going to go to heaven because we fly the red, white, and blue. You know how many people believe that? Way too many. So it might have been the mercy of God you were born in America. It might not have been the mercy of God you were born in America. If you end up in hell and you lived your life as an American thinking you're okay because you're an American, it's not very merciful, is it? Now what you want, regardless of what flag you live under, what you want is God to intervene in your life and interrupt you from your path to destruction. That's what you want. And that's what has to happen. For we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. This is in stark contrast to those who, who want to make God in their own image. A carnal human image. 
God cannot be created in our image, though we try constantly to do that. And we deceive ourselves in believing that He is like we are. We are His workmanship. He is not ours. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That tells what we are, but it also tells where we are. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are not only His workmanship, but we are His workmanship created in Christ. Again, it is so very important to see with seeing eyes not only who has created us, but where that new creation has taken place. We are His workmanship. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. You're not a new creation because you're in church on Sunday. You're a new creation because you're in Christ Jesus. Hopefully because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, you're in church on Sunday. Because that's what new creation should do. That's what the church should do. That's what the people of God should do, is gather together to worship their creator, to worship the one who made them new creations, who raised them from death to life. We are created in him, and so we become partakers of his life, Galatians 2.20. We become partakers of his righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And we become partakers of his divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4. We cannot become partakers of his life, of his righteousness, and of his divine nature, except in Christ. Only in Christ, and therefore only through Christ, can we come to the Father. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 6. There's no other way to come to the Father except through Him. He is the way. Truly, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For good works which God prepared beforehand. We are created for good works. We're not saved by good works. We do not become new creations by good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And those good works were prepared for us by God. Ecclesiastes 3.14 I know that whatever God does it shall be forever and nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 2.5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. God's work in our life is not reactive, but proactive. You guys get this? God is not going around putting out fires behind us, trying to get ahead of us to head off trouble at the pass. That's not how it works. God's work is always upstream. And by the time we see the work of God in and around our life, we need to realize that his work was done beforehand. God's work and the good works that he has prepared for us beforehand are not waiting on us. The work of God is eternal. And in his work, he brings us into the place and the position to see and know and fear and so find wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of God. He does this out of his great love for us by his grace that's given to us in Christ Jesus. And he has prepared these good works beforehand 
that we should walk in them. God in his infinite wisdom and the infinite wisdom of his sovereign will has chosen to work in and through human vessels. Do you realize what God has entrusted to us? God is, we have a hard time entrusting people with things. It's, it's like you buying that really, really, really expensive car that you've wanted all your life. And your 16-year-old comes to you who's just gotten his driver's permit. Dad, let me take the car. And you look at him like, you're insane, right? You ain't getting my car, boy. Now, in a sense, we can all relate to that, right? But I want you to think about what God has put into our hands. I want you to think about the power and the authority that God has put in our hands by giving us the gospel. And he's given it to us freely. And I don't know if I'm the only one that has made so many mistakes in my life that I can't count them anymore. But you know what? God has never taken from me. He's never come to me and says, give me those keys. You're never going to get my car again. I'm tired of you wrecking it. No, God hadn't done that. Somehow, God knows how to fix the broken. God knows how to repair that which I have broken what seems to be beyond repair. God knows how to do that. And all the while, this is the promise of God. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand. They don't look like good works sometimes. But God is always working, always working, always working, always working for his glory. History is his story. You realize that? This creation we live in and are made a part of by God, it belongs to God. And it belongs to God for his glory. You belong to God for his glory. As we are born and as we live, all that is to us past, all that is to us present, and all that is to us future is a product of God's beforehand work. Listen, church, that is not fatalism. That is faith. When you can't see how your mistake, how the wreck you just caused is going to work out for good, when you can't see that, here is the assurance God gives you in his word that God is working beforehand. That your wreck didn't catch God by surprise. That your situation was not unaware to God. But God worked beforehand and God knows how to work in what you perceive to be the past, what you perceive to be the present, and what you perceive to be the future because he doesn't operate in past, present, and future. God operates in eternity. You and I can't comprehend that. He uses past, present, and future, but God is not bound by past, present, and future. God works in eternity. And this is exactly why the prophet wrote in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. This is why it's important to understand 
and to come to know that God is other than we are. He is not like us. Though we are created in his image, God is other than who and what we are. He is higher than we are. You can't figure it out. God knows. Or look at what Paul wrote in Romans eleven thirty three and 36. Speaking of writing this in the context of sovereign election and the salvation of both Jew and Gentile. Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. God is the creator. He grants to us the gift of faith and he makes us a new creation in Christ for good works that we are to walk in. Good works that he prepared beforehand. You are walking in them now. And as you sit and hear this gospel in this place, you will walk in them when you leave. You will walk in them all and in everything that you do. Whether you realize you are walking in them or not, that is his work of grace. He's never not working. Those who are in darkness walk in darkness. Those who have become light in the Lord are now to walk as children of light. And all of this for his glory. Amen.